Hello, and welcome to Social Workers Rise, where we inspire social workers to connect, expand their knowledge, and change more lives than they ever thought possible. We will talk everything social work on every level from micro to macro. We are going to hear stories of social workers who are doing big things, learn new skills, and most importantly, give you actionable steps to make a difference today. Let's go. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Social Workers Rise. It is your host, Catherine, here. So I'm wondering for you, how often in your bachelor's of social work program or in your master's of social work program, how often did you talk about sex? If you're anything like me, it wasn't very often. So when I got out into the field and if any of my clients needed to talk about their sex life, I was like, oh, mm, I'm not sure. Uh, let me refer out on this. And even today, I still get a little awkward. And um, and it is not my strong point. I will agree. Like, I am not the one to come to about your sex life and sex. I mean, I'm sex positive, but I am just not the one. I'm not the one. So if this is uh, you, don't worry about it. If it is not you and you want to be the one, if you want to be a sex therapist and want to be the person that people can go to, to confide in, to if they have past traumas that they need to process, if they are working on their new relationship, then that is beautiful. I think that is amazing. And that is uh, what you're going to hear about today. So we are going to talk with Miss Holly Wood. And she is an MS and an LMFT based out of Orange County, California. So if you've ever wondered, what exactly does a sex therapist do? How do they help people? And what kind of training do you need for this type of role? Then this is the right place for you. So Hollywood is a board certified clinical sexologist, a trauma specialist, and an international public speaker specializing in trauma, sex, and intimacy concerns. Holly is committed to sexual wellness by working with clients to get past their past and develop the necessary skills to achieve lifelong change for a more pleasurable and connected life. If you are interested in reaching out to her, the links are in the show notes. Please do so. Before we hop into the episode, I just want to let you know, if you are an aspiring therapist, meaning that you have just graduated, first, congratulations, because that's an amazing accomplishment. Uh, but if you're feeling like you just need more help with those clinical skills, with assessing accurately, with doing documentation, with utilizing CBT and therapy, all of these are the basic foundations of social work and of the therapy process. And it's important that you understand these core foundations, which Holly is going to talk about in the episode that you have to have been a therapist and you have to have these core foundations before you can venture into a specialty such as sex therapy. So with that said, if that is you and you're wanting more guidance and more tools to develop your confidence around using these interventions with clients in the real world, in your job today, 
then I highly recommend the clinical essentials for the future therapist. This is a self-paced course that you can access today, right now, and it will give you all of these tools and more. It is definitely, definitely worth looking into and considering if you are looking for more confidence around this area and guiding clients through the therapeutic process, because it's important that you know what you're doing. It's important that you can feel confident because clients are going to sense that right away. Like this person does not feel confident. I'm not sure if I can trust them. And that's going to impede the therapeutic relationship that you have with them, which is so, so important and vital to any successful therapeutic interventions. Second, if you are in need of a clinical supervisor or resources for clinical supervision, check out risedirectory.com. It will have all of your needs there. And if it doesn't have something, please let me know because I am working on growing this out and building it so that it becomes a hub for clinical supervision for social workers. So with all of that said and out of the way, let's hop into this episode with Holly. Hello and welcome to the Social Workers Rise podcast. It is your host, Catherine here. I am here with the beautiful Miss Holly Wood. Welcome to the podcast, Holly. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. So, I mean, as you mentioned, my name is Holly and I am a clinical sexologist, which essentially means that I do sex therapy operating out of my own private practice. And I also conduct sex research behind the scenes. Awesome. Yeah, because you're in the process of getting your doctorate. Is that right? Yes. All the interviews, research has been conducted, just putting it all together so that way we can get some good results to share. Oh, exciting. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. So what does your typical day look like in your role? Yeah. So in my role, I usually start the day with a little bit of the research stuff to get that out of the way and then get the day going with clients. Um, as far as clients, um, what is most typical is that my clients are not typical. So throughout the day, there's always a wide range of what people are presenting with. I usually see about between six and nine clients a day, depending on what my day looks like. And everybody shows up with something different than they're working on. So for example, yesterday for a typical day started with one client who identifies as non-binary, exploring their gender and sexuality expression and what that means for them and how they present in the world, followed by a young woman struggling with vaginismus, a couple struggling with desire discrepancy, another young woman working through trauma recovery, sexual trauma recovery, utilizing EMDR, and then a couple who was exploring consensual non-monogamy and working through different levels of desire in their relationship. Wow. Interesting. Very interesting. So who, I'm thinking like, who is your ideal client? Like who typically seeks you out? You know, what are they hoping to gain from, from the therapy sessions? Yeah. So most 
of my clients are women who have experienced sexual violence and who are looking to have pleasurable sex again. And that's mostly because of how I market myself. So I focus a lot on sex post-sexual trauma, uh, utilizing trauma modalities like EMDR to eliminate the PTSD symptoms while also addressing the pleasure piece. And you know, once we reduce those PTSD symptoms or hopefully eliminate them, how do we start having pleasurable sex again? So I get a lot of those folks, um, as well as people who are just looking to explore their identity. So I love working with people who are coming into knowing themselves and what their identity is sexually, either based on their gender or their orientation or different kinks and desires they might be into that they haven't had the space to share that with anyone just yet. Interesting. Okay. So um, I'm wondering for you, it sounds like you work with a lot of different types of folks. Um, Mm -hmm. What would you say is the most challenging part of the work that you do? Most challenging? Well, definitely the the trauma portion is challenging just because it's hard to hear um, so many horrific stories and to sit with people in that pain and discomfort. And it's, it's hard that that continues to happen. Um, on the plus side, it's good to be a part of that healing process, but that part's hard. The other thing that is challenging is that there's a reason why you have to be a regular therapist before you're a sex therapist. And that's because so much of what shows up in sex as far as like concerns or problems that people might be having stems from other things outside of the bedroom. So cases can be a lot more complex than they at first appear. So it can take a little bit longer to unearth what is really behind what is presenting in the bedroom, uh, which for me is a challenge because I like to like hit the ground running, right? Get a lot of work done, support my clients in getting um, some improvement and seeing some change. So that can be a little challenging. Yeah, definitely. It sounds like it. And I, I like that you mentioned that it's required or helpful to be a therapist before that you jump into sex therapy. Because I hear a lot of new social workers that come out of grad school and are like, I want to be a sex therapist. And they kind of dismiss all of the other learning that's required. And it seems like it's really important to have the full-blown you know, systems perspective to understand all of the different factors that are impacting this person, including trauma, family dynamics, social supports, environment, um, politics, you know, all of these things combined. Is that kind of mm-hmm. what I'm hearing? Absolutely. So For example, if somebody is struggling with their gender and sexual identity, and you also find out that they have pre-existing OCD, so they're continuing to have these obsessive thoughts and rumination that now is just kind of manifesting in their gender and sexuality, it's important to know that and address the OCD as as a whole. Or if you have a couple who comes in and is presenting with one person wanting sex more than the other person um, come to find out, well, the one person isn't as engaged in having sex because there's a long history of betrayal and drug use by the person who was wanting more sex. So it's like, okay, we need to get to to those things first and repair the relationship 
um, that was damaged from all these other things before we just jump straight into bed. Right, right. That makes sense. Um, so <clears throat> I know this is different for everybody, but how long does it take for people to start seeing results going to therapy? That is a really good question. And in, in your work, I imagine is also difficult to answer. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, Most common question, but hardest one to answer. So I, it, it really depends on what people are working to um, achieve. So for problems that are less complex, I say a good three months is enough, right? And so for me, that tends to be clients who are presenting with erectile dysfunction, relatively um, re relatively more simple to work on as far as like behavioral changes and challenging anxiety that manifests as erectile dysfunction. But again, then you get some clients who have you know, are in their 50s and struggling with sex with their husband because of a sexual assault that happened as a child. So it's really unearthing that and working through that trauma that's been there for years. And sometimes those clients do take, you know, a couple years of work to graduate. Mm -hmm. Right. But so, as far as seeing results, I would say, yeah, some definitely results right in the beginning, right? It's even like research shows there's most change in therapy happens at the beginning. And so at that point, when people are so motivated to get work done and be with somebody who's going to address problems that don't generally get talked about, there's a lot of change that happens there in the beginning. Yeah, that's amazing. And I love that because I've seen the same thing in my work and working with people who struggle with anxiety and stress and overwhelm, that if you're putting in the work and ready to show up and ready to make changes, that chances are you have been thinking about going to therapy longer than it's going to take you to actually make some changes and make some progress in therapy. So it's, it's very encouraging, not saying you're all going to be healed in three months, but mm -hmm. you know, progress can be made. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. You mentioned a little bit about how it's really challenging to hear traumatic stories, which is, you know, essentially vicarious trauma, right? So the, mm -hmm. the vicarious trauma is when we, and I know you know this, but for the listener, is when we, um, when we hear stories of trauma and we may then begin to experience trauma symptoms ourselves, and that could look like... Um, like uh, thought intrusive thoughts that we don't want, maybe trouble sleeping, um, just you know these various symptoms of trauma that can turn up for us, even though it wasn't us that experienced the trauma directly, but we are being exposed to the story or hearing it. We could this can happen in therapy, even on the news, you know, hearing your friends' stories. So, my question for you, Holly, is how do you cope with and deal with? vicarious trauma? Mm -hmm. Good question. So doing your own work, right? So taking care of yourself as a clinician to do what you, what tools you know to be helpful for you, um, whether that's like for me, that's like going to the gym. Like I have to go to the gym in the morning because that really grounds me and is good for my mental health. On top of that, when you're in the session, I think it's important to develop like skills to kind of compartmentalize things that might be coming up for you, noticing what comes up for you um, while reminding yourself that this isn't about you, right? This is a time for you to be there as a tool and as a support person for 
uh, your client who's showing up. And then, but not noticing that and taking that back to either supervision or again, back to your own work, back to your own therapist. I think behind every really good therapist is another good therapist. And maybe you don't need to see them on a weekly basis, but it's nice to have somebody else to check in with. And I think one more thing that's really helpful uh, that I notice, especially with my clients who are clinicians themselves, is having a social support system of other clinicians or other people who know what it's like to be in this work. And I think it's difficult because a lot of us who are in the work don't want to be burdens to those around us by sharing some of the things that we are dealing with. And so even though we might know plenty of therapist friends that maybe we went to school with or were colleagues with, a lot of times we don't want to share the things we're struggling with because we know, oh, I'm having a hard time. They're probably having a hard time with their clients too. I don't want to be a harder time with them, uh, for them. When in reality, I, I think other therapists, other social workers and clinicians know more than anybody else how difficult this work is and can really support one another and just acknowledging like, yeah, that was, sounds like you had a really hard day. I had a really hard day too, but having that camaraderie and that validation of people who really get what it is to be in this business and experience vicarious trauma. Oh yeah, for sure. I found that nobody really understands our work better than the people who are actually doing our work. And for me, it's really validating to go to other people and talk to them and say, hey, you know, I've come across this problem. What do you think? And first, I'll acknowledge that I am sometimes intimidated and scared, especially if I don't have a really good relationship with that person. But every single time, or maybe 99% of the time, they've been very understanding and welcoming and and, you know, can provide, even if they don't know the answer, we can brainstorm together. Mm -hmm. So definitely really powerful. Mm -hmm. Right. Hey, it's Catherine here. I hope you are enjoying this episode. We're going to take a quick break to listen to these ads from our sponsors. If you're planning to take the BBS law and ethics exam, the ASWB master's or clinical licensure exam, or if you're studying for the MFT exam, then you need a proven program that can help you understand the exam questions and pass with confidence. If this is you, I highly recommend the Therapist Development Center. I personally use TDC to pass my law and ethics and clinical exams and found the program provided me with everything I needed to pass with confidence. TDC's program integrates various ways of learning in an organized fashion, containing all of the information you need to pass without the overwhelm. And now, bonus, TDC is also offering a library of continuing education courses that fulfill your license renewal requirements and will support you in your career development. If this sounds like something that you need, visit their website, therapistdevelopmentcenter.com and use the code SWRISE10 at checkout to receive 10% off any of their CE courses, including their brand new course, On the Edge of Life, an Introduction to Suicidality. You can also check out the link in the show notes. 
What would you say is the most rewarding part of your work? I would say the most rewarding part um, as a therapist and specifically as a sex therapist is bringing light to things that often exist in the shadows. So when it comes to mental health and in particular things of a sexual nature, so much regarding sex is seen as shameful or taboo. And so a lot of times a client presents and this is, you're the first person they've ever shared this information with. You're the first person they've been so open with or talked about um, attractions or desires and things like that. So being somebody who actually provides the space to shed light on what is normally seen as so shameful is incredibly rewarding. Yeah, what a what an honor um, and how powerful too to be able to be that person for another human who maybe has just felt felt so overwhelmed and weighed down by the secret and to be able to to tell it and to kind of own their story can be life changing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like you said, it's it really is an honor and a privilege as the clinician to be that person to get to hear that story for the first time. For sure. Yeah, that's awesome. So for those of us listening, if we are interested in pursuing a career as a sex therapist, what are some suggestions on how we start? Are there any kind of entry-level jobs that we can try out to get our feet wet? Are there any specific trainings or certifications? What do you think? Mm -hmm. So sex therapy is mostly unregulated. However, I think it's important to be regulated. So if you are interested in becoming a certified sex therapist, your best bet is to get started and go to the ASECT website. So A-A-S-E-C-T, which is the American Association for Therapists, Educators, um, American Association for Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, and I could send you that info too. Um, and on their website, they have all certification requirements for all of those different um, practitioners. So if you want to be a sex therapist or an educator or a counselor, all that information is up there as far as what requirements you need to be certified. Again, sex therapy is a post-master's certification. So get your master's done first in whatever counseling field or social work, marriage and family therapy. And then from there, you can begin the sex therapy certification process. As far as entry level jobs, I would definitely recommend like during your associate or trainership opportunities, if you see something with another clinician who's already working in the sex therapy field, I would definitely go there, potentially get your supervision for uh, clinical hours, as well as supervision for sex therapy hours together, get started on that. Other than that, as far as entry-level jobs, just, I think it's, uh, it's nice to get your feet wet in exploring what, like, niche of a niche you'd like to be in, right? So sex therapy can be pretty broad, but if there's something specific with the in sex therapy that you're looking to explore. So for example, myself was working with sexual trauma survivors. So in my undergraduate career, I started volunteering at my local rape crisis center. Um, and I also worked at the adult toy store. So that was kind of like my first chance of getting my feet wet before I got a master's degree of like really exploring something in the field of sex and sexuality. 
And I love those two examples because that's something that we can do at any time. I'm sure we can always find a job at a sex store. And I'm sure that the organizations who support um, people who have experienced trauma, experienced rape, I'm sure that they are able to train and, um, and welcome, you know, people who are wanting to learn and show up. Um, so thank you for that. I love those tips. We did have one question come through that I wanted to ask you. So on my Instagram at social workers rise, I asked if there was anybody who wanted to ask a sex therapist, anything. And I think people were shy, which is okay. Um, but we did have a question come through from a person who has a family member who unfortunately mm -hmm. has suffered trauma through molestation. Mm -hmm. And um, this this is a male in the early 20s, and they have developed a mute disorder. And we're wondering, you know, how would this person go about getting help um, if they're unable to communicate verbally? So I would say first going towards what um, ways that they are communicating, even if this person is not communicating verbally, there might be other modes in which they can communicate or are comfortable communicating, um, whether that's just nonverbal gestures or writing or something like that. So I would first and foremost show up as a support person, right? This is a somebody who's writing as a support person, right? You're there as a support person for this family member. Let them know that they're that you are there to support them. You want to help them and asking them, what do they need as far as support and allowing them to communicate what they need or what they would like as far as support in whatever method of communication is um, feasible for them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Just starting where they're at with what they're comfortable with is is what I'm hearing. And mm -hmm. it's true, there's, we can get creative in our ways that we're able to communicate with people. I know for some people that I've talked to that can't communicate, I'll take in my laptop, and they're able to type, they can type mm -hmm. just fine. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, you know, it just depends on the individual. So uh, thank you for that. I have uh, two questions about your availability. One, are you taking clients, private therapy clients? And two, do you provide clinical supervision services? Good question. So at this time, I do have limited availability for new private clients, and I am not currently providing supervision. Okay, awesome. Is there anything else that we should talk about or that you wanted to mention before we hop off? The only thing that I can think of is just that sex is an incredibly important part of a lot of people's lives. And even if you're not working directly as a sex therapist, as any clinician or social worker, uh, psychotherapist, to not forget that part of somebody's um, experience. Which I'll be honest, can be awkward because I am not a sex hurt. Like I'm not the person you come to, to talk about your sex life. <laughs> I, I don't know what to say. I don't, I, I don't know, but I do understand that it is important. And, and okay. So what advice do you have for me? Cause I'm able to, to ask, like, this is my assessment of your sex life, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, tell me, have you, see, I don't even know what I say. Um, 
some I'll say something to the extent of, you know, how has whatever problems, because they're usually seeing me or something else, how has this mm-hmm. impacted your level of intimacy is basically what mm-hmm. I say. Mm-hmm. And give it to them whatever they want to respond. Yeah. And I think that's that's a great place to start, right? And I think intimacy is a good word because it expands beyond just like the physical aspects of sex. But yeah, I would start right at the assessment, right? In your assessment, you're generally going to ask questions about people's relationships, if they're married, if they're living with someone, you know, are you having sex? And even as open of a question of like, how's your sex life? Can give them the space to share as much as they want to or are willing to share. And they might say, it's great. whatever I'm bringing to you um, has no impact on my sex life. That's fine. Um, But they might, you you might be surprised that they might, a lot of times will say, well, nobody's really asked me that before. I've never had a therapist ask me about my sex life. And actually, now that you mention it, this thing is happening. Yes, because I can imagine that a lot of the people who come to us, because people are coming to us generally in crisis, right? Like there's something going on that they can't figure out or fix, or they need support from other people, which generally is stressful. Mm -hmm. And we know that when we're feeling stressed out, we're not in the mood to have sex. Mm -hmm. So I can see how it can definitely be a variable and impact so many other areas of their life. Like I'm thinking you know, and you can expand on this, but I'm thinking if we're not having sex, it could impact one, our relationship with our partner, two, our relationship with ourselves, maybe our self-confidence. I don't know, anything else that that could be impacted that we might be missing if we don't ask these questions? I think all of those, I think you really hit the nail on the head, right? As far as like each of those categories, it impacts our relationships that we have with, with others, right? It might impact the relationship that I have with my spouse or my uh, impact, my ability to date because I don't feel like I am confident having sex with others, but also our relationship to ourselves, lack of self-confidence or sexual self-esteem. And then also just like biological aspects that might be missed, right? Like uh, the impact of mental health medications on libido, that might be something. Other times um, when I've asked that question in spaces where people aren't used to being asked that question, you find out, oh, actually, I also, you know, I was diagnosed with an STI. And not only is that a biological factor, but also then that impacts my self-esteem and my ability to date and relate to others. Um, So I think all of those factors relationally, individually, biologically can all show up in the bedroom. And I saw this show up a little bit in medical social work. I'm sure if I were to have assessed, it would have shown up a lot more, but uh, talking to people about, you know, why don't you want to take this pain medication? And it's embarrassing because it makes their member not work and they Mm -hmm. don't want to, they'd rather be in pain and still be able to have sex than not Mm -hmm. have sex and be pain-free. So, you know, that could be a missing part in, and, you know, just the medical setting too, is an example. Right, right. And even in your example, you can see the value that people place on sex. So for this person in particular, the value of their sexual relationship and um, 
the physical manifestation of their desire for their partner outweighed whatever pain that they were experiencing. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you so much, Holly, for coming on the podcast today. It was great to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I really appreciate being here. Yeah, you're welcome. And where can people find you if they want to connect with you? Sure. So you can check out my website at thehollywoodsexologist.com. You can also feel free to follow me along on Instagram for accurate, up-to-date sex ed information at The Hollywood Sexologist. Love it. And all those links are in the show notes too. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Social Workers Rise. If you love this episode, be sure to subscribe and text this episode to a friend. If you want more, there are a few ways we can get to know each other and work together. First, definitely subscribe to the Friday resource email list. The link is in the show notes. And that's where you can learn more about the courses I offer, including clinical essentials, for the future therapist, and the Pulse Basics for medical social workers. I'll also be sending out occasional tips and resources and other happenings within the social work industry. And for all your clinical supervision needs, be sure to visit risedirectory.com. This is a national directory of clinical supervisors for social workers, and we also provide free resources that you can use within your own clinical supervision. Lastly, if you have more individualized needs, I do offer coaching, individual consultations, and am available for public speaking engagements for social workers and change makers. Lastly, the boring legal stuff, but very important. The information in this podcast is not meant to be a supplement for therapy, professional advice, or clinical supervision. This content is provided as is solely for informational purposes. It is not legal, health, or safety advice. I am not advising you as a therapist. Organizations should engage their own experts to ensure any adoptive measures are compliant with applicable laws and standards in their jurisdictions. The opinions expressed by individuals or organizations are their own and do not reflect the views or opinions of Social Workers Rise or Catherine Moore. References to specific products or organizations do not constitute any endorsement or recommendations by Social Workers Rise.